Dear God, thank you for this time together. We are grateful for each person here. Lord, as we wade into a heavy topic of suffering and pain and, and walking that out and understanding it a little better, Lord, we ask for your clarity, for your truth. Lord, I pray for any here who are struggling. Uh, I'm sure there are some. Uh, there are many faces of pain and suffering, and I just ask for your comfort, your encouragement, and your wisdom. Lord, I ask your blessing on this time together. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week I talked about perseverance, kind of in relation to suffering and pain. We're going to be a little more philosophical, theological today, and dig into the subject and try to, at least in the beginning, understand pain and suffering a little better. Now, I want to show you a picture that I think you Alaskans will identify with. Uh, so, you know, we have... We, we put rocks on purpose on the roads, and so we end up with windshields that often they're not this bad, but that, you know, are cracked because a rock hit it. I literally, you know, took uh, the car that my wife drives most of the time to Glass Doctor, and on the way home with my new windshield, here comes a rock right where the driver looks, and we started the whole process again, and you're just like, really? And so... But I think this is a good picture of creation and life and even our perspective is, you know, creation still has this incredible design. It's still, um, God has made it. You know, it still functions. It moves forward. There's incredible artistry in creation. There's incredible engineering in creation. But there's this brokenness in our perspective, in us, in creation itself. And so because of that, there is pain and suffering, uh, hardship, difficulty, and, and so I just want us to kind of wade into this today and try to understand it a little better and get our uh, response as Christians how we walk this out. When you look at those who are God's best, in Ezekiel 14, it mentions Noah, Daniel, and Job, and these are some of God's best individuals. And if you dig into those stories, I'm not going to walk you through all those stories, but if you dig into each of those stories, you see great suffering. And so just being a follower of God does not spare us from that. And this morning, you may be sitting here, and for whatever reason, maybe it's relational, maybe it's financial, maybe there's been a betrayal, whatever it might be, you may be just sitting here like, my life hurts. And we all, in a sense, have kind of this allergy to suffering. Uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson says, suffering has taken up residence in the deepest places of our souls. And I think that is true. And so this morning, we want to understand a little bit better about pain and suffering. Why does God allow so much pain and suffering? The big key is free will. God wants us to have free will. He, it's kind of the essence of our human dignity is that he gives us this free will and we get to make our decisions. We are not robots that just do what we're programmed to do. We are, have the very image of God and part of that is the dignity of making decisions. Now, our own free will decisions can lead to suffering in many cases. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says this, do not be deceived God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so I think if we're honest, 
All of us have sowed seeds in our lives, weeds, you might say, that we are honestly praying for crop failure because we don't want to reap what we have sown. And I don't know what area that might be. It might be sexually, it might be financially, it might be relationally, could be in a lot of different areas. But we need to understand that some of the suffering in our lives comes because we sowed it and now we're reaping. Um, I think of of an older man at the church I served. I was a new minister, young minister, and he was so angry at God, just angry. And he's in the hospital. He's dying of lung cancer. And, you know, he, I listened, and I knew him very well, and he just kind of ranted at God and was so angry about this. And I had to challenge him and say, look, you have smoked for decades. This is sowing and reaping. And it's still painful and it still hurts. I think God will come alongside you and comfort and encourage and strengthen. But that's what we're facing here. We have to get honest about some of our suffering. Many of us have moments, unwise moments, sinful moments in the past, bad decisions that have come painfully crashing into our present And so it is crucial that we think about this. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, Tell the righteous it will be well with them, for they will enjoy the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, disasters upon them. They will be paid back for what their hands have done. And so, I mean, you can lessen in this area of life the hardship and suffering that you experience by walking in obedience. You can do that. Um, Now, we are reminded in Scripture that all of us have sinned, and so all of us are going to reap some of this. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The reality is, if you lie regularly, you will get that reputation. And it may destroy your business. It may destroy your relationships. It may destroy your reputation. You may even lose your job. If you're a thief, if you steal, you could lose your freedom. If you let anger conquer you, then you could lose some of your most important relationships. If you let that anger turn to violence, you could actually lose your freedom. Our free will decisions can lead to some of our own suffering. And we just have to be honest about that as we're trying to categorize things. Because I I don't know, when I face something that's painful, it helps me to put it in categories. And we won't always know. Another category is our free will decisions and those of others can lead to God's judgment. Now, this is something that we American Christians who kind of like a feel-good Christianity don't talk a lot about, but there is God's judgment. And it does come as a result, uh, some of the time, there is an ultimate judgment that all of us will stand before him. Thankfully, what we just celebrated, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to not experience the negativity of that judgment because that price has been paid. But there are moments of judgment in Scripture, and we make a mistake in ignoring them. Uh, we are not called to be God's editor. We are called to be God's you know, representatives. We have the flood in Genesis 6 where God looked at the wickedness of humanity and destroyed all of humanity except for one family. We have Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed for various sins. We have the plagues on the evil Egyptian 
empire uh, that was oppressing and enslaving the Jewish nation, and we see plagues on them, um, acts of God's judgment. And there's really no coming back from judgment because it's God actually, as the author of life, can take life if he wants. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, the apostle Paul writes, and he does a little bit of a history lesson about the Jewish people and their special relationship with God, and he says this, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. So he gave some blessings you know, you're, you're under the cloud, you're led by the cloud, the pillar of fire, you eat uh, spiritual food, manna is provided for you, God parts the Red Sea, so these Jewish people are brought out of incredible slavery, all these blessings of God, but notice, nevertheless, verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them because of their rebellion and their sin. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And so this whole generation that saw this incredible, miraculous outpouring of the power of God doesn't get to go into the promised land, doesn't get to experience what God wanted to give them because of their disobedience. They experienced instead judgment. In 1 Corinthians 10, 8, so just a few verses down, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. So God takes all sin very seriously, even sins that our culture winks at or um, encourages or is proud of. Uh, We see that God hates sin because sin damages us and hurts us and causes death in our life in various ways. Too many of us have this very kind of grandpa, you know, chuckling image of God. And while I do believe he's a God of joy, we need to make sure we understand he is also a God of wrath and a God of judgment. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 7 says, uh, God is speaking, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity, we love that, hooray, and create disaster. We don't like that. The Lord, I do all these things. And so we need to understand that sometimes Our sins, sometimes our actions, lead to the judgment of God in a very dramatic um, way. Now, immediately, someone may be going, well, Derek, those are Old Testament examples, and surely in the New Testament, God doesn't do that. I remind you of Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts, who lied to the Holy Spirit, and God struck them dead in church. I remind you of the fact that some people drank judgment on themselves at communion as the body was doing communion, and they went to sleep, the scripture says. That just means they died. I remind you of King Agrippa, who uh, persecuted the church, but also what was kind of the final straw for God was he gets up, he's doing a speech, and the people are like, oh, the voice of God, and so they basically call him a God. He doesn't correct them. He just kind of lets that puff up his attitude, and God sends an angel to strike him dead. So understand that the judgment of God is not just an old covenant thing. It is the wrath of God, the judgment of God is part of God's character. We can like it or not like it, but it's there and it's true. And to understand who he is, we have to understand that. Now, We do have to be careful, because I see people do this, Christians, some disaster happens, and they immediately go, well, that's the punishment from God. 
Well, unless you're a full-blown prophet, I would be very careful about saying something like that. Um, it, it was interesting to me, you may remember several years ago the tsunami that just killed tens of thousands of people. It was a horrible, horrible thing. And it hit Indonesia really hard. And Indonesia is mostly a Muslim country. What was interesting was that the rich, wealthy, Middle Eastern Muslim countries did not give money, did not send aid, did not help Indonesia because they're like, well, if you'd been good Muslims, it wouldn't have hit you. That was the attitude. It was the judgment of God. It was Christians that went in and actually came alongside and offered help. We need to be very careful... God's judgment is real, God's wrath is real, but be very careful about declaring it over a particular um, emergency or traumatic thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus once time talked about a local disaster. It was a tower in Siloam that fell and 18 people were killed. And Jesus in that case made a point to say, hey, don't think that those 18 people were more sinful than the rest of you. And so he, you know, he, he said, don't assume that about that particular incident. So, now, much softer, but still something we don't love to talk about, is our free will decisions can lead to God's discipline. This can bring suffering into our lives, difficulty, some challenge, discipline. This is softer than judgment, but it's still something from God. I'm not going to read all this, but Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8 and it's this image that the Lord, you know, if, if you're his child, he's going to discipline you. And we do see God do this, where he does um, a temporary disciplining of a person for a time. The sister of Moses in the Old Testament, she was murmuring and grumbling about her brother and kind of undermining his authority. And God gave her leprosy for a time. And you can agree or disagree and go, well, I think that's a little harsh. Well, he's God and we're not. But that's what he did. Now, he did take it away, but there was a discipline there. Even Moses, the great Moses, author of the first five books of the Bible, the guy who brought down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai that God gave him. I mean, imagine Moses. He's disciplined by God. He leads you know, all these people out of, out of uh, slavery and doesn't get to take them into the promised land doesn't get to cross the finish line. Why? Because of an incident with his anger where in a sense he snagged the glory of God, so to speak. He put God in a position where if God didn't do a miracle right then and there, it would have made Moses a false prophet. So he kind of forces God into this and God's like, okay, I didn't want to make you a false prophet, but you're not going to lead them into the promised land. And he disciplines him. Now, God is also a God of grace. There's a tension there. And a piece that I love as a sinner who needs God's discipline but prefers God's grace, um, Moses in the New Testament, when Jesus, remember the story of the transfiguration, and Moses gets to go to the promised land and see the Messiah face to face, and he gets to stand in it. And so it's a temporary discipline kind of a thing. All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 and 11 says something similar. They disciplined us, speaking of human fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 
I mean, many of your parents, none of your kids, you know, after you put them in timeout or spank them or have them talking to, whatever your methodology is, you ground them from something, none of them are like, yes, thank you, mom and dad. Now, maybe as an adult, maybe they'll reach that point. But they don't, they don't get it yet. We don't like discipline, but discipline is important. We see this in the whole history of Israel. We see where Israel would walk in holiness for time, and God would bless them. And then we see that they would walk in wickedness. They would rebel against God, and God would allow or send, and the verbiage is both there. He would either allow or sometimes send these pagan nations to come and discipline Israel, to conquer them, sometimes for years. And so we see God's discipline. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis, and most books you pick up on the subject of suffering will include this, because I I love this image. He says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And so it is a legitimate question when you're going through a really painful time to ask yourself, am I being disciplined by God? Now, that is not the first question a typical American Christian will ask, but it's a legitimate question, and we should learn the lessons there. We also can experience suffering and difficulties and pain because of the free will decisions of others. The classic example is the sin of Adam. Adam and Eve were our representatives. They represented us. They represented humanity, and in the garden, in this you know, just incredible setting of beauty and peace, They had one rule, one rule, and they broke the one rule, and they represented us, and so now humanity is sinful. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, for just as though, uh, just as through the disobedience of the one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, that's us, so also through the obedience of the one um, man, the many will be made righteous. And that's us if we are followers of Jesus Christ through the one man, Jesus, the new Adam. He lived perfectly without sin, offered his life on a cross for us, rose from the dead to show us that it was true, that he had that kind of power, and that he truly was divine. And so, but the sin of Adam is something that we all pay for. And that is a classic example. And you might be, well, is that fair? Is that Here's the deal. So we're Americans, at least most of us, right? And so our president, whether you voted for him or not, he could get us in a war with somebody as our representative, and guess what? We're at war with them. You know, that's how it is when you have a representative like that. And so Adam and Eve represented us and put us in a war with the holy God of the Bible, with our creator. Now, we all... We can't just, oh, those terrible Adam and Eve. We've all done the same thing, okay? But they did it first, and they put us in this spot. We also see that free will decisions broke creation. So when Adam and Eve uh, did this, they broke creation. In Genesis chapter 3, after they sinned, there is now a curse. God puts a curse on creation. Um, uh, The ground is cursed. Uh, there's now, if you farm, there's going to be you know, weeds and thorns and thistles. And so there's this brokenness that kind of works through creation. Just as the, you know, when you have a rock hit your windshield, the little cracks work through the windshield. It's the same thing. You don't have to look far for it. You look in our world and you see brokenness. 
You see pain, you see suffering. One source I was reading this week said there's about 148 million orphans in the world. There's about, another source said there's about uh, 1.3 billion people who don't have access to clean water. The world itself, and this is really where most of us experience difficulty and struggle because this is disease, this is physical death, because we live in a broken creation now. You know, when babies are born, they scream, right? I think they kind of understand what this world's like, right? They get it. It's not that warm, cozy protection that they had. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 through 22 talks about this a little bit. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. So God, because of what we did, he subjected it. It's now broken. It's under this curse. But notice the words in hope. That's encouraging. So there's going to eventually be a new heavens and a new earth. And we can look forward to that. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So something new is coming. Something new in hope that we can look forward to. Now, be careful as we look around. I think it's easy to see brokenness. Be careful, though. Um, We don't want to call things broken that aren't necessarily brokenness. Sometimes people think that physical pain was a mistake by God. I actually don't think it was. As a matter of fact, when I go back and read Genesis chapter 3, the, when it talks about childbirth, it basically says it's an escalation of pain, but it looks like there would have been some pain. Pain is actually, a physical pain is actually a beautiful design by God. If you've never read a book, uh, Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey wrote a wonderful book about pain. It's the gift nobody wants, basically. And, but it is an amazing thing. To understand it fully, there are a few people that are born without the ability to experience pain. Tony Dungy, he's a, he was an NFL player, he was a coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and he had a son who didn't experience pain. And he said it was a nightmare to try to get this child to adulthood because he describes, he goes, for example, he's still in the crib, so he is a little guy, and he had gnawed off the end of his finger and blood is just coming out, and he's just like, you know, like, oh, this is wonderful. It's like I have a marker or something. Because he didn't experience pain. There's something about having pain. Like, if I grab something and it's on a hot stove, pain immediately kicks it back and protects my hand from experiencing serious burns because of that built-in beautiful design. Now, I think chronic pain is a result of brokenness. But pain is not. Another thing I was reading about this week I thought was interesting is we tend to think of viruses as brokenness. You know, the, we just had the pandemic and the human reaction to that, and it was just massive. And, and, um, and yet I was reading this. It was from Tony Goldberg. Um, he studies these things at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he said, as a matter of fact, only 1% of viruses are harmful to people. And he said this, if all viruses suddenly disappeared, the world would be a wonderful place for about a day and a half, and then we'd all die. That's the bottom line. All the essential things they do in the world far outweigh the bad things. 
I didn't know that. Another author, when they talked about viruses and the positive role of viruses, said it'd be like, if you, if you took all the viruses out, it'd be like taking a wooden building and all of a sudden you pull out all the nails and it would just collapse. So they, they do have a role. But I do think there's brokenness in it because some viruses are very deadly. Now, we look forward to a restored new heavens and new earth. Great description in Isaiah chapter 11, you can go read it, um, where we have this image of the wolf lying down with the lamb, the calf and the lion together. I mean, you can't do that at a zoo. You can't put them together because the predator eats the, the, the prey. Um, the infant can play with a cobra. I wouldn't recommend that at this point, but someday you can. Um, and so we look forward to this because this broken creation, it's in hope. There is something coming that is beautiful and better, and we can look forward to it. But where we are right now is creation is broken and groaning, and so there's disease, there's physical death, there's all kinds of problems, birth defects, all of this. Now, part of the brokenness in our world is not just like that brokenness in creation. It's the combination of human brokenness and sinfulness and that, that uh, brokenness in creation. Take, for instance, October 1989 in San Francisco, Bay Area was struck by a 7.1 earthquake. It took the lives of 63 people. Now, I don't want to downplay that. That's very tragic for those 63 people, their families, those that they knew. That is very tragic. But for a 7.1 earthquake to hit, that is a fairly low number. To give you a comparison, a, an earthquake with less power, 7.0 magnitude quake, struck Port-au-Prince in Haiti in January 2010. It killed up to 250,000 people and displaced 300,000 people. The big difference in death toll was... Because in Haiti of the poverty and the corruption, most of the buildings were not built to withstand. They took shortcuts to withstand earthquakes, even though they knew it was an earthquake area. San Francisco, they built them to withstand earthquakes. And so you had this combination of creation brokenness and human brokenness coming together to create massive suffering, massive death, and loss. Now, we also see suffering and pain because we have an active real enemy. Free will decisions of Satan causes suffering. And we, this might be not our first go-to, but it is a real part of the suffering that goes on in this world. The story of Job, I'm not going to read this all to you, but Job 1, 8 through 12, we'll put it up. The summary is this. The Lord and Satan, this fallen angel, have a conversation about Job. It is very clear that Job is the best of the best. He is a righteous man in, in many, many ways. He's an amazing example of humanity, someone who really loves God. And the devil, Satan, says, you know what, God? You're protecting him. You're prospering him. If you took all that away, he would curse you and want to die. And God goes, okay, go ahead. Um, but don't touch him, and so he has to, he can't do his body at first, but he kills all of his children, Satan does this in the story of Job, takes all his money, his property, all of that, um, cattle, all of that, um, comes back again to God, 
Which there's a lesson there in the sovereignty of God. Even Satan has to come and get permission. That's kind of interesting to me. And even though he's in full rebellion, and he gets permission to touch his body. So then physical disease and attacks Job's body. So sometimes the free will decisions of Satan, a fallen angel, and other demons, other fallen angels, can impact us and cause suffering. We also see the free will decisions of others. You know, I mentioned um, Adam being kind of the premier, but other people cause us all kinds of problems. Classic Hitler and the Holocaust, um, persecution of Christians around the world, other people making evil decisions, and it affects us. I was reading this week in a book called The Martyr's Oath by Johnny Moore. Some estimate that every five minutes a Christian is martyred for their faith in the world today. Every five minutes. We live a very protected Christian existence here. But we should not be surprised by suffering. We follow Jesus Christ, who was literally called the suffering servant in prophecies about him. And we are part of a church that was founded by overwhelming martyrs. Not all of them, like that original group. The Apostle John's the only one that's not a martyr. The rest all died for the faith. But he died in exile, a prisoner. We can be affected by the free will decisions of others, such as a drunk driver, such as maybe you grew up in an abusive home and a parent, a person who's called to protect you and love you and guide you, and instead they sexually molested you. You could be affected by a spouse who cheats and runs up your credit cards and just destroys you in many ways. So we can be affected by some others. All right, so let me hit pause. I gave you some categories there to try to kind of theologically, philosophically understand some of the suffering and pain that we experience. Me, personally, it helps me to kind of think about the category. I mean, like, if I caused it, if I sowed it, then, you know, what the response is repentance. And so it helps to have some sense of categories. It won't always make sense to you. We won't always know. So how about we get some good news? A couple things here. One is that God identifies with our pain. We do not deal with a stoic, distant God who doesn't understand pain. Particularly in God the Son, Jesus Christ, he came and lived life on our terms. He is described in Isaiah 53 as a man of suffering, acquainted with grief. And if you need a reminder, look at his life, and you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you see just in this short period of time, you see the betrayal of Judas, you see the denial of Peter, you see him so distressed over this whole thing that he's going to face because he's going to face the wrath of God for us that he's sweating drops of blood. You see him whipped very quickly. You see him die on a cross. And so we serve a God who identifies and understands our pain. A second thing that is good news is that he is with us in our pain and suffering. He does not leave us alone in this. He is a companion. Um, it helps us because pain and loss are part of life and God joins in with us. If you find yourself in an unthinkable moment, a moment that you're like, I cannot believe this is happening in my life, God is there with you. He will walk beside you. I appreciate a quote from Al Bryant. He says, never interpret God's love by your circumstance, but always interpret your circumstances by his love. 
And you know he loved you enough to send his own son to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven and set free. And so when you struggle with the sovereignty of God, when you struggle with what God is allowing in your life, come from it from a position of, I know I am deeply and passionately loved by God. And that can help you as you go through that time of difficulty. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel, which simply means God with us. When Jesus returned to heaven, he was about to return to heaven, he said this to his apostles, Matthew 28, verse 20, part B, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So some more good news is that sometimes God acts in powerful and dramatic ways. This is what we all want to sign up for. We're like, yes, Lord, do the miracle, answer the prayer dramatically, and sometimes he does, and this is so beautiful when he does it. Um, I think of the Jews being freed from slavery in Egypt. That's incredible. I think of Esther in the Old Testament book, named after her, where God orchestrates it and saves the Jews from a holocaust, from a, from a genocide. And he works it all out. He answers their prayers. I think of the healing ministry of Jesus and the apostles. I think of the fact that when he returns, that he will settle everything, that every knee will bow to him. And so we see sometimes God acts in powerful and dramatic ways. And we love these testimonies. I know people that, you know, were mired in addiction and God took away the desire for that drug or for that substance. That's not everybody's story, but it is some people's story. Those testimonies are all tied up in a bow or beautiful and we enjoy those and we love those. Not every testimony is tied up in a bow. But God is with us in those as well. God brings, if your testimony is not tied up in a bow, know that there's more good news, that God brings good from our pain and our suffering. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, not some things, not just the good things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God has this incredible ability to distract the precious from the painful. He can give us a fierce hope Because he can work things out. Our salvation comes from one of the worst moments, probably the worst moment in history, where God the Son, sinless, is innocently convicted and dies on a cross. So this grave act of injustice is the very means by which God allows free will decisions of Pontius Pilate, of the Jews who turned against Jesus, of all the Roman soldiers who participated in the execution, these free will decisions to execute Jesus, and God uses those free will decisions in a way that actually gives us salvation. If he can take the ugliness and the wickedness of the cross and make that at the very heart of our redemption and salvation, he can take your broken moments, your unthinkable moments, and he can bring beauty from them. And he can give you a fierce hope. He really can. Author Barbara Brown Taylor and her husband were walking on the beach one day. They're walking down the beach and they see this huge loggerhead turtle. And here's this turtle and it's a a mama turtle. And the turtle had laid her eggs and then she got confused because of the lights of the city. And instead of going back to the ocean, she kept going inland. And she went as far as she could and she got exhausted and she's just like, you know, wiped out on the beach. And she's going to die if she doesn't get back to the ocean. So they go find a ranger. And the ranger, you know, this is a huge turtle. The ranger go gets a jeep and he gets chains 
and they flip the mama turtle over on her back, chain her up, and drag her to the edge of the ocean. And then they flip her back over, unchain her, and she, you know, they save her life and she gets into the ocean. Now, we look at that story and we're like, wow, they saved the turtle. That's awesome. But what if we could interview Mama Turtle in the middle of that process? How would she feel about these people? They flip me on my back, you know. They chain me and they're dragging me across the beach. Are you killing me or are you saving me? Sometimes we don't know. We don't know what God's doing. Remember that grapes have to be crushed to make wine or Welch's grape juice, whichever you prefer. Remember that popcorn has to be heated up in oil until it explodes to make delicious popcorn. Corn has to be, you know, popped, which I've always thought was kind of amusing. Did, like, who did that first? Let's, let's make this food explode and then it'll be wonderful. Do we try this with other things? I, I don't know. Let's be honest, though. The deepest, the deepest wounds often give us the greatest wisdom. They really do. I was reading a book by John Maxwell. I don't think he wrote this poem, but it was in his book. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser with all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. The deepest lessons of your life will come out of pain and suffering. And if you do the research, when people change for the better, not always, but most of the time, it's because where they're at hurts so much. So our response to suffering is this, very quickly. Pray, express your pain. If you don't know how to express your pain, go to the Psalms. David does it for you and the other psalmists as well. Read those as prayers to God. I love the scene in the New Testament where a woman with a bad reputation, so she's, a, she's called a sinner, and Jesus is at this uh, Pharisee's house. And she comes in and she anoints washes Jesus' feet. And it's this beautiful moment. And she, you know, washes it with her tears. She brings her pain, she brings her sorrow to Jesus. And she's criticized for it. The Pharisees, like, you know, this is a sinful woman. If you, if you knew what she was like, you wouldn't let her touch your feet. And yet Jesus defends her and says, hey, wherever this story of the gospel is told, this woman's story will be told as well. So when you're in times of trouble and difficulty, pray to God, express your pain, and he'll do something with it. Come, a second idea is come to terms with mystery. Come to terms with mystery. We are not always going to understand There are moments where you just crawl forward because it's hit after hit and you're like, I don't understand where I'm at and what's happening in my life. And you have to come to terms with mystery. The great mathematician and philosopher Pascal once said, reason's last step is to recognize that there is an infinite number of things which surpass it. 
Just as a small child does not understand the decisions, all the decisions of a mother or father, we will not understand everything that God is doing in our life or allowing in our life. In Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this is God speaking, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so you're not going to know sometimes. Now, sometimes you will. As you look back, God will piece some things together, and you're like, wow, that really, that's, that's good, that's helpful. I remember one of the first country songs I liked. You'll have to forgive me, those that hate country. But it was Unanswered Prayers by Garth Brooks. I don't know if you remember the song, but he, he runs into a girl he dated back in high school at a reunion. And, he, you know, and I feel bad for whoever she was if, this, if he wrote the song. I don't know. Um, but because it became a big hit. And you're like, sorry, Stella, or whatever her name was. I don't know what her name was. He didn't say. But... He's just like, he, he sees the wife he ends up with, and he saw this person he dated and thought he might be with and had prayed to be with. And he's like, Lord, thank you for unanswered prayers. Thank you for when you say no. And so sometimes it does become clear to you, but sometimes it doesn't. I think once we get to heaven, it'll become clear. But in this life, you have to come to terms with mystery. And that brings us to the final idea is that we have to trust God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I want to be really clear. God's idea of a flourishing, thriving life is not the same thing as the American dream. It is not. Jesus in the garden was asking God the Father, is there another way to save humanity? Or at least the humans that are willing to be saved. And he prays, you know, is there another way? And God the Father says, no. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. He trusted. He trusted. The bottom line is we are shaped by suffering in a positive way if we will lean into it, if we will follow God, if we will trust God in it. Suffering tends to shatter our prideful independence and, and help us to become dependent on God. It helps us to become people who care more about the glory of God than our own comfort. I know it's a story I've told before, but it, it had an impact on me. I was reading about these missionaries from America and England about 200 years ago, and they were going to Africa, different places in Africa. And they knew that it was dangerous. And they knew they probably would never come back. Uh, the life expectancy of a missionary going to Africa at this particular time, according to the source I was reading, was three to five years. They would get diseases that they had never been exposed to and they would die. Or some were martyred. There were just all these things that would happen. And so these missionaries, knowing full well, and they didn't have all the modern things where we can hop on a plane and come back and take a sabbatical or whatever. And so they would pack what they were going to take in their coffins. And some of their churches would have these celebrations of life, these funerals, to send them off because they wanted to appropriately say goodbye because they figured they would never see these missionaries again. And they literally packed their belongings and knew that they were probably going to their deaths for the glory of God and for lost people to come to know the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus. 
and to have the privilege of seeing them put their trust in faith and baptizing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to see them become all that God called them to be. And I think those missionaries would tell you today, if they could talk to you or talk to me, that Jesus is worth it. So the big idea is this. Free will matters. The price is high, but trust God anyway. Free will matters. And that helps us understand, at least a little bit, the price is high, but trust God anyway. Let's pray. Dear God, I just lift up each person here. Lord, some of us are in moments of prosperity and peace. And Lord, we thank you for that. We know every good gift comes from you. Some are in excruciating moments of relational pain or financial difficulty or have received a diagnosis that's terrifying. And Lord, we ask for your comfort, your strengthening, your healing, and your hope. Lord, this is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.